SupertalkRadio.com. It is Wednesday, the 2nd of August. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Remember your people, O Lord. You promised that the house of the Messianic King would last forever. Grant us the grace to put our trust in you in your fidelity rather than our own short-sightedness. You have made your promise known in the assembly of the Holy Ones. Teach us to hear and to live the words we pray when we are gathered for worship. You have clothed yourself in truth and beauty. Make us walk in the ways of truth and beauty today. O God, you have kept your covenant with every generation. In a world shadowed by the many infidelities of frail humanity, grant us faith in your enduring love. Through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Wednesday morning, the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We will talk this morning to Mike Aquilina about St. Michael the Archangel and devotion to him through the centuries. Actually, really, technically through the millennia uh, and actually forward into the new millennium, as it were. Father Rob Jack will continue uh, our series. Actually, um, we've been doing stuff with him on Old Testament stories you should know. We're actually going to look ahead with him to the Feast of the Dedication of St. Mary Major this weekend and what that's all about. Gary Zimak continues our series on his book, looking at the stories of major biblical figures and what they can teach us about trusting God. Uh, Today we look at the woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and uh, was healed by Jesus, kind of uh, on the way to heal somebody else. And then Liz Lev will look at the Little Portion Church in Our Lady of the Angels and a uh, feast connected with that today. Liz Lev joining us live from Rome. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal for World Youth Day. In video remarks ahead of today, the... Holy Father said, quote, in Lisbon, I would like to see a seed for the world's future. He said the church could not be what he called just a club for the elderly because if it becomes something for old people, quote, it will die. The Pope is expected to attract about a million people over this five-day tour, which is his second, 42nd overseas trip and his fourth World Youth Day of his papacy. Pilgrims to St. Peter's Basilica have been encouraged to accompany World Youth Day pilgrims with their prayers. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. The initiative, in collaboration with the Dicastery for Laity, Family and Life, invites St. Peter's visitors to attend the Masses celebrated in the Basilica and daily Eucharistic adoration in the Chapel of the Blessed Sacrament. At the entrance of the chapel, a graphic notice will remind of these special events with directions to access the World Youth Day page of St. Peter's Basilica website and download the official prayer text in several languages. In his message, 
search for World Youth Day dated August 15, Pope Francis reflected on the event's theme, which recalls a passage from Luke's Gospel, Mary arose and went with haste. In these troubling times, the Pope wrote, when our family, already tested by the trauma of the pandemic, is racked by the tragedy of war, Mary shows to all of us, and especially to you, young people like herself, the path of proximity and encounter. What kind of haste do you have, dear young people? Pope Francis asked, highlighting our healthy haste drives us always upwards and toward others. Yet, there is also an unhealthy haste, which can drive us to live superficially and to take everything lightly. The Pope concluded his message by blessing young people's dreams and every step of their journey. I am Edoardo Giribaldi. Former President Trump has been hit with another indictment, this time for alleged election interference that culminated with the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot. Speaking yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith claimed the attack was fueled by lies told by Trump, calling it a, quote, unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy, end quote. The former president has been charged with conspiring to defraud the U.S., disenfranchise voters, and attempting to obstruct the certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. He's expected to be arraigned in the case tomorrow. An Obama-appointed judge has been assigned to the case. Smoke from California's largest wildfire of the year is now affecting neighboring states. The York Fire has scorched more than 80,000 acres of land in the Mojave Desert. Fire crews have been working in extreme heat conditions with temperatures surpassing 100 degrees. Smoke from the fire is reaching into Nevada and southern Utah. And while no homes or other structures are currently at risk, There are concerns about the long-term impact on the ecosystem. The fire has already burned some of the Joshua Tree Forest in California's Mojave National Preserve. An American nurse and her child remain missing in Haiti. Trey Thomas has more. Jack Brewer, the founder of a global Haiti foundation, says people there live in fear because kidnapping is so common. You can't walk around uh, in the neighborhoods because you'll get kidnapped. Kidnapping has become, you know, the number one business on the street. The New Hampshire nurse and her child were kidnapped while serving at a community ministry. It happened the same day all non-emergency U.S. government employees were told to leave Haiti due to rising crime, civil unrest, and the lack of health care. I'm Trey Thomas. And the Astros' Fromber Valdez is the latest Major League Baseball pitcher to throw a no-hitter. Yesterday's gem led the way in the team's 2-0 win Over the Cleveland Guardians in Houston, Valdez struck out seven batters and walked one on 93 pitches. It's the first no-hitter of his career. All right, so I didn't check the timeline because, you know, the trade deadline makes things crazy. Mm -hmm. Makes things wild. Always. Uh, Did he find out? uh, Did did he throw the no-hitter before or after After he he found found out out that that Justin Verlander, who's thrown a couple— You've just scooped the story that I was going to end with next hour, Matt. Oh, well, there's no, I mean, that's not scooping. It's not like, I feel like people, people know, any baseball people at least know where Justin Verlander got traded to, traded back to, rather. Mm -hmm. You cannot accuse me of scooping you on that news. (laughs) 
scooping me on the sun. Literally every show. sports outlet on the planet. Well, you're supposed it. to talk about the no hitter, not about peripheral well, I mean, news. About Congratulations, no you're taken away from from this uh, pretty well, so nice uh, performance. I guess so. I mean, we can talk about it now. You just can't talk about the no-hitter while it's happening. That's true. That's the issue. Yeah. You're right. These rules. These baseball unwritten rules. Don't step on the white line. The unwritten rules. As you're walking off the field. Don't talk about a trade when Anna Mitchell's talking about a no-hitter. These unwritten rules unwritten that are part rules. of the game. Unwritten rules of the Sunrise Morning Show, especially. You got a whole manual. Paul Lockman's got like a notepad. They are written, I suppose. But only he's got them. It's eight minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and we're joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. He's got lots of great books you can find through Catholic Books Direct, and he writes for AngelusNews.com as well. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. It's only appropriate that you, Michael Aquilina, get to talk to us about Michael the Archangel. And this is a devotion that a lot of people know through the prayer written by Pope Leo XIII uh, back in the late 1800s. But this is a devotion that goes way, way back, actually before even Christianity, correct? It does. It goes all the way back, in fact, to the beginning, if you're to believe the ancient sources, because you find you find this devotion uh, really alive in the writings of the ancient rabbis of Judaism, in the early uh, Apocrypha of the Old Testament and Pseudepigrapha. All of these different texts attest to devotion to St. Michael the Archangel. And it was a special devotion. It was unlike any other. Uh, it's something that's a constant in Christian history, but but maybe not always at the same levels. Every now and then, it needs to be revived, and the people just naturally revive it. And I think, I think that's what was going on in the time of Pope Leo XIII. It was a revival of something very ancient. Well, it's an ancient prayer because... Michael is, you know, one of the angelic hosts. I mean, when you think about who is fighting the most ancient enemy of the church, you know, Michael yes. is the one who even like, even the, the meaning of his name speaks to his mission to, to fight the ancient enemy of God. It does. Who is like God? You know, he, he, he just he just puts it out there with his very name. And I think that all of the angels are created for a purpose and their identity, their name tells who they are, you know, what they do, and what, you know, why they're here, why they're here. Um, My Michael, Michael has been a fighter from the beginning. Um, we don't know how the angels were tested, but we do know that the angels were tested, just as human beings were tested. Adam and Eve fa faced a test, and then they failed the test, and that we know as the original sin. Well, there was an original sin before the sin of Adam, and that was the uh, the, the the sin of the the angels who chose a, against God. They chose something other than God, and uh, and they failed the test. And we're told in the Book of Revelation that a third of them, a third of the stars fell from the sky. So a third of these pure spirits, you know, were banished from heaven, banished from the presence of God, banished from the sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, just as Adam and Eve were banished from the earthly sanctuary. Michael, we're told from the beginning, was fierce in that battle, and Satan even dragged him down from heaven, according to one ancient legend, and it was God who snatched him up and restored him to his place, uh, where he would, he would continue to defend the holy 
ever after. And um, and in the writings of the rabbis, this is quite imaginative. They imagine Michael to be the great defender of Israel, God's people, their great, uh, you know, their great guardian, their great defender. And, and it's Michael they associate with so many of the great moments in history and even, even minor moments in history. Like, you know, one, one little detail that I, I picked up in one of the sources was that um, they believed that Michael was the one who taught Cain better methods of farming. <laughs> Wow, I had not heard guy. that one before. <laughs> yeah, this poor guy, you know, he has to make a living somehow now that he's banished and it's God's mercy that, that Michael should go to him and teach him how to farm well, you know, so that he can feed his family. It's it's a it's a great mercy. But Michael is also the one, according to these, these ancient legends, who stayed the hand of Abraham uh, at Mount Moriah when he was about to sacrifice his son. It, it's Michael uh, who told Sarah that she would bear a child. All of these, all of these, these moments in um, in in the the patriarchal period, and then with Moses, it was Michael who was the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. It was Michael who was uh, the uh, the the voice of God, the messenger of God at the burning bush. So so he is. Uh, you know, uh, given credit for so many of these great moments in the Old Testament history. And not mentioned by name in, in a bunch of those instances you just uh, recounted. And right. some outside of the, the Catholic tradition um, might say, well, why would we trust these extra-biblical uh, stories to tell us about Michael? But it's clear that there are plenty of stories about Michael outside the Bible from the way that the New Testament treats Michael. So the the great example is the last couple books of the Bible, right? Jude and Revelation. Right. Uh, in Jude, you see Jude saying in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, uh, you know, when the archangel Michael contending with the devil disputed about the body of Moses, he didn't, you know, presume to pronounce a judgment. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. And then he moves on as though to say, but you already know that story. <laughs> That's right, because it was a story they knew from a very popular book called The Assumption of Moses, and uh, and and they accepted that as truth, and, and Jude seems to believe that it's true, and, and Jude was inspired by God in producing his epistle. So, so Michael does appear by name in three places. They imagined him in many other places, and I'm not saying that their imaginings are infallible or inerrant or anything like that. All I'm trying to do is demonstrate that devotion to Michael was lively as long as there has been biblical religion. Devotion to St. Michael was lively, and we have abundant evidence of that. Michael is only mentioned by name three times, uh, or in three books, I should say, but there's significant mentions. I mean, in, in, uh, in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel in the uh, the Old Testament, he's shown to be this power player in heaven who's affecting world events and world wars. If you you've already mentioned the other two two instances in 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 the the Epistle of Saint Jude and the Book of Revelation, where he's shown to be a defender, where he's shown to defend the Holy Family, where he's shown to lead the the heavenly hosts in the ongoing battle against Satan. So, um, so the canonical texts do give us a good foundation, but all of this other speculation is interesting too, and it's evidence, I believe, of the intensity of the devotion to St. Michael down through history. Well, hopefully that'll be a great backdrop for you next time you pray, 
you pray the prayer, you know, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, which is a relatively developing prayer in the life of the, the church coming to us in the 19th century, but building on this great tradition that you've just yeah, mentioned. Yeah, you know, there are, there, there are yeah. old devotions as well uh, in the Coptic Church, for example, in ancient times and still in modern times, they've observed a feast of St. Michael on the 12th day of every month. Each month of the year, they remember a different event in the life of Michael, so to speak, one of his interventions in history. And they remember it on that day, and they celebrate a feast in his honor, the 12th of every month. That's pretty remarkable, and they've been doing it since antiquity. Well, thanks so much, Mike Aquilina, to tell us about Michael the Archangel. You can find Mike linked at fathersofthechurch.com. And uh, he's got a great podcast, The Way of the Fathers Through Catholic Culture. Uh, We'll be back right in just a minute. Uh, We're going to take a look at headlines right after this. It's 16 minutes past the hour. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. Divine Intimacy Radio. When you engage with the wisdom of saints this way, it stokes the fires of God in our hearts, encourages us, strengthens us, and gives us wisdom to deal with the difficulties of life. It also gives us wisdom that allows us to rise above all of the junk, to live with joy and peace in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. Divine Intimacy Radio, Sunday, 6.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal for the celebration of World Youth Day this week. Pilgrims to St. Peter's Basilica have been encouraged to accompany World Youth Day pilgrims with their prayers. And former President Trump has been hit with another indictment. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, Anna Mitchell, I don't know about you, but I tend to watch the Ten Commandments during Holy Week. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a number of reasons for that, but among them that, uh, that it sort of culminates in the Passover. Um, right. And, of course, Holy Week culminates in the Passover. What does with, this uh, have to Jesus do with today? Jesus the Last Supper, and, and then the movie ends, of course, with Moses getting the Ten Commandments. Right. Okay. 
But if you go to Mass today, or you listen to it here on the radio for the Wednesday of the 17th week in the ordinary time, time, uh, you actually, the first reading comes from Exodus 34. I was wondering where you were going with this. I hadn't looked at the Moses, readings yet today. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the commandments in his hands. He didn't even know that he was glowing coming down the hill. Of course, the uh, the Facebook joke that, that people throw around about this one is Moses, uh, Moses uh, downloaded stuff in the tablet from the cloud. First person to do that. But uh, the fact that Moses even had to put a veil over his face mm-hmm. because he was glowing. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Yeah. I don't well, know what Moses is doing up there, and he comes down the hill. This wouldn't be the only time that Moses sits atop a mountain, you know, with glowing from the Lord. Um, interesting that these readings would come up as we are about to celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration this weekend. Yeah, that is an interesting connection. I'm sure that's why this is where it is. That would be my guess. Yeah. And then you get a redux in Matthew 13 in the Gospel reading today. Interesting. It's 21 past. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Bishop Roger Foys of the Diocese of Covington, with a reading from The Imitation of Christ. If only I could find you alone, O Lord, and tell you all that is in my heart, then I could enjoy you as much as my soul desires. Then you only would speak to me and I to you, as a lover does to a beloved, or a friend to a good friend. This is my one desire and what I pray for, to be entirely united to you, and to withdraw my heart from all created things, that by holy communion and the frequent offering of Mass, I may learn ever to delight in the eternal things of heaven. Dear Lord, when shall I be completely one with you and entirely forgetful of myself? You in me and I in you. I am Bishop Roger Foyes of the Diocese of Covington for Sacred Heart Radio. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio. And he uh, has all kinds of great stuff to share about, you know, events we may have heard about or uh, feasts or Bible stories. But we get to talk about uh, the feast day of a building, (laughs) as it were. And there are actually a few of these. Uh, Got a feast day of a building, got a feast day of a couple of chairs uh, on the calendar 
And we're going to talk about the dedication of St. Mary Major this morning. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. So what is St. Mary Major for those of us who've never been over there? Well, it's one of the four major churches in Rome. The the church of the Diocese of Rome is St. John Lateran, and that's down the street and away from uh, St. Mary Major. Then there's St. Peter's Basilica, and then there's St. Paul outside the walls, and then there's St. Mary Major, whose face we celebrate today. It's also known as the Liberian Basilica because the... the uh, church was first built under Pope Liberius, and there's a, a legend that goes around the, the creation of this church that goes all the way back to 352, which is about 80 years before the Council of Ephesus, which proclaimed Mary as the Mother of God. Wow. Okay, so uh, fill us in on some more of this. Well, there is a man by the name of John and his wife, and they were childless, and they wanted to leave their entire fortune to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so they prayed one night, and then they uh, told Pope Liberius that they wanted to give all their money for for a Marian church, but they didn't know where to build it. And so the story goes like this. On August the 5th, uh, basically, they were praying, and one night in August, and it's hot in August, um, snow came and covered the Esquiline Hill. And when snow covered that, people got up in the morning and saw the snow there. And they recognized it was only on the Esquiline Hill. It wasn't anyplace else. And so Pope Liberius came and with his uh, crozier uh, marked out the spots for the size of this church. And as a result of that, they built the Church of St. Mary Major, and that has a lot of historical significance behind it. It was, as I said, first built. Uh, in the 4th century, but then in the 5th century with the proclamation of Mary as uh, Mother of God, or in the Greek, the Theotokos, the Church was expanded and enlarged. And it has a tremendous history. I've, I had the blessing of being in that Church all the way back in the last millennium, <laughs> the last year of the last millennium, 1999. And when you go into that Church, it's a, it's a magnificent Church, uh, right on the top of one of the seven hills of Rome. And when you go in there, there's certain relics that are there that are unique to this church. And it's dedicated to Mary. It's considered the first church in the world ever dedicated to the intercession and veneration of the Mother of God. What happened was, is during the time of St. Helen, the, the mother of Constantine, she brought back many relics from the Holy Land, including the wood apparently that made the crib in which our Lord was uh, placed after his birth. Well, parts of that wood are placed in there in the special box and under the high altar that you can see on certain days. So it's also known as the Church of the Holy Crib. Another one of the things that's there is there is an image that's considered painted by St. Luke of Mary, and it's called the Salvation of the Roman People. And it takes a prominent place in that church because during a plague in the 700s, 600s, I'm sorry, Pope Gregory the Great carried this uh, picture through the streets of Rome and stopped the plague, and people were healed. This is the same image that Pope Francis prays for, prays before every time he leaves to go to another country, and he always brings flowers to this image of Mary. And uh, another one of the unique things about this, and I was told this by one of the people when I was there, is that when you look to the ceiling and the gold leaf that was placed in the ceiling, 
That's the first gold that was brought from the New World, from Spain. And it was then placed up there as a dedication of, of America, of the New World, to the Blessed Virgin. Now, this coming Saturday is the Feast of Our Lady of the Snows. It's a minor memorial, so not everyone would celebrate it. It's optional. But in, in the Church of St. Mary Major every year, the workmen go up into the rafters, and during the, the, uh, they retell the story, and then they celebrate the Mass. And at the end of the Mass, white rose petals are thrown from the top of the church to fall down to imitate the, the snow that came uh, that August day to, to show us where that church was to build. And now one of the things about this is that what you see is that snow in the summer, what does that have to do with Mary? Well, Mary, her fruitfulness came from her life with God. That's the warmth. And the snow refers to Mary's purity. And so Mary and all her purity became the mother of God. And we, so that began, of course, to talk about Our Lady of the Snows. Yeah, I can't help but think, as you're mentioning this, the uh, the verse uh, that says, "You though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Uh, that's from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And it's Mary, right, who is spared from original sin at the moment of her conception by a singular act of God, right? So That's she's, right. she realized that promise in an extremely unique way. Her sins weren't even scarlet because she didn't have time to commit any before she was spared. Well, she was preserved from all of it. And if you can't make it to Rome, there is a shrine in Belleville, Illinois, not too far from here. I think probably three or four hours. It's called the Shrine of Our Lady of the Snows. And you can go there and you can see the story there. And they have a church built there that honors this title of Mary in the United States. Pretty cool background uh, on this feast that's going to be celebrated this weekend. Of course, Pope Francis stopped, as you mentioned, right by there on his way to World Youth Day. Thanks so much. And he'll stop, he'll stop oh. on his way back. He always thanks right. her for a good trip. He, uh, he goes before he goes, and he goes after he goes. That's Father right. Rob Jack, have a great day. Thank you very much, Matt. You too. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal today. The Holy Father landed in Lisbon earlier this morning for his pilgrimage with hundreds of thousands of young people for World Youth Day. On the schedule today is a welcome ceremony and a meeting with civil authorities and diplomats. He'll have a separate meeting this evening with the Portuguese Prime Minister and then we will celebrate Vespers with bishops, priests, deacons, consecrated men and women, seminarians, and pastoral workers at a Lisbon monastery. World Youth Day itself officially got underway last night with tens of thousands of young pilgrims joining the Patriarch of Lisbon for the opening mass. Tomorrow, Pope Francis is set to paint the final brush stroke in a large community mural from Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones has more. Pope Francis will visit the Scolas Ocurrentes community of young people in Cascais, a coastal town situated west of Lisbon. Scolas Ocurrentes is an international educational movement of pontifical right created by decree by Pope Francis himself. The organization is present in all continents, comprehending over half a million schools and educational networks, responding to the call to create the culture of encounter, bringing young people together in an education that generates meaning. 
In a press release, the organization explained how the meeting will represent the closing of the Life Between Worlds project, consisting of the realization of a mural. Old people and young people, rich and poor, children of different religions and non-believers, and young people of different nationalities participated in this work of art, the statement reads, underlining how the final touch will be given by Pope Francis himself. Jose Maria del Corral, Scolas Ocurrentes World President, expressed his gratitude to the Pope and World Youth Day's organizers for the effort to come to visit us in Kashkai and share this educational experience that's changing lives, giving a sense to stand up and keep fighting. The project embodies the Pope's pedagogical vision, underlining the importance of the between, where the encounter between people, between people and the world, between the world and life takes place where life regains its meaning. In fact, the three-kilometer mural was born from the encounter of young people from different parts of the world who shared their pains and dreams and created an immersive work of art making the classroom without walls real. The press release concluded by providing the numbers of the project, which saw the participation of 100 organizations from the Kashkai community, bringing together more than 2,000 people working in groups of 5 to 10 and creating 300 murals that were joined in a single work. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Former President Trump has been hit with another indictment, this time for alleged election interference that culminated with the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Speaking yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith claimed that attack was fueled by lies told by President Trump, calling it an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. The former president has been charged with conspiring to defraud the U.S., disenfranchise voters, and attempting to obstruct the certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. He's expected to be arraigned tomorrow. An Obama-appointed judge has been assigned to the case. Smoke from California's largest wildfire of the year so far is impacting neighboring states. The York Fire has scorched more than 80,000 acres of land in the Mojave Desert. Fire crews have been working in extreme heat conditions with temperatures surpassing 100 degrees. Smoke from the fire is now reaching into Nevada and southern Utah. Poland is sending troops to its eastern border with Belarus, accusing its neighbor of violating its airspace with military helicopters. Mark Mayfield reports. Tensions are high between Poland, a NATO member and a supporter of Ukraine, and Belarus, a Russian ally, currently home to Russian mercenaries. Belarus has denied sending any helicopters across the border. Russia used Belarus as a launch pad for its invasion of Ukraine, and President Vladimir Putin has made clear that he would consider any attack on Belarus as an attack on Russia. I'm Mark Mayfield. Striking writers and Hollywood studios will start talking again this week. The Writers Union, the Writers Guild of America, confirmed that it will resume talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers about negotiations this coming Friday. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. After his conversion, the repentant Augustine humbly used to say, O Lord, you have loosed my bonds. To you will I offer sacrifice of thanksgiving. Take note, I beg you, how the heart of the saint was full of gratitude toward God. Certainly one of the most serious sins that people commit is forgetting the graces which they have received. When this ingratitude resides in the intellect, it is truly bad and dangerous because it passes on to the will and becomes such a vice that it makes a person completely forgetful of the debt of gratitude he or she owes to God. This is the greatest of all evils and one of the major impediments to grace. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we've been going through your book, When Your Days Are Dark, God is Still Good, and you have a series of stories of biblical figures who uh, found uh, peace in Christ despite their situation. And today we get a woman whose name is actually not... Uh, given in the scriptures, although she does have a name in the uh, the the TV show The Chosen. If anybody's watched that, uh, we're looking at the woman suffering with a hemorrhage, and she shows up in a couple of of the gospels. But if you could uh, lay out this story for us, just so we can sort of remember the the narrative points of it. Yeah, Matt, this is a, this is a great story, and the reason I wanted to include this story in the book. This book is all about giving hope to somebody who might be hopeless. This is a story of a woman who, if someone ever had a reason to be hopeless, it was her. And uh, the the story that I'm going to share comes from Mark's Gospel in Chapter 5. And we have a woman who has been suffering from a hemorrhage for for 12 years. And according to the Gospel account, not only has she not gotten any better, she has actually gotten worse. And what makes this even even sadder of a story or, or more desperate of a story is the fact that she spent all the money that she had on doctors. So she's trying everything. She's not getting better. She's getting worse. And somehow she holds on to this hope that if she could just encounter Jesus and literally touch the hem of his garment, she could be healed of her infirmity. And, and that's exactly what happened. She encountered Jesus who was in the middle of carrying out another healing. So this is sort of a healing within a healing, and this gospel story is embedded in this other healing story where Jesus is, is healing the, the daughter of Jairus. 
And uh, the woman comes up behind Jesus, she touches him, and she is healed. It's an amazing story, and it's a reminder for us that no matter how long we're waiting for our impossible situation to resolve, no matter how long we're praying, there's always hope. This, this woman always continued to, continued to believe for 12 years, and she was rewarded with a healing from Jesus. I mean, there are many lessons to be learned from this story. Uh, among them, as you say, there is always hope. Uh, but another one, and you know, there are people, you know, I've even been in this sort of mindset before, like, I don't want to bother God with this. He's got the whole prayers yeah. of the whole world to deal with. Uh, you yeah. know, this, this is uh, proof that God is not too busy for you and your situation. Yeah, that's a great that's a great reminder for us because in this case it's exactly what's happening. Jesus in the is in the middle of an emergency. He's he's going to heal this this little girl and this woman just comes up to Jesus, just simply touches the hem of his garment and that's enough for him to stop. He turns around. And he said, "Who touched me?" So in the middle of his, of his crisis that he's trying to handle, he notices this this subtle touch of a woman who comes up from behind. And he heals her. He takes time for her. And, and it's a reminder, as you said, that he's never too busy for us. And we should always continue to turn to him if we need something. Yeah, and you know, this, there's, gosh, there's so much to be, to be said uh, more about uh, you know, how this all plays out. Uh, you know, I've met people right. uh, from various Protestant movements, from kind of like the prosperity gospel world who would have said, don't spend any of your money on doctors, <laughs> right? Just right. go to Christ. Right. Uh, and I've known people who've gone through unnecessary suffering because of that. But it seems to me that Veronica really, uh, or I just called her Veronica because she's that's her name in The Chosen. She doesn't have a name in the scriptures. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I find it interesting, by the way, that uh, The Chosen, which is made by you know, evangelicals chooses to name this character Veronica. That's a whole other conversation. But I find it interesting that uh, this woman with the hemorrhage, uh, I mean, she she models this idea of both taking action but praying. Uh, she she does what she can do on her end, but at the end she trusts a God. She She has that sort of combination of picking up her end of the deal and relying on Christ. Yeah, she did what she could, and that's 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 a great point, because she didn't just sit home, she sought out Jesus, and I think that's, that's the key. And you know, Matt, I make the point in the book, and this is something to consider, when we look at her story, we know that she was suffering from this affliction for 12 years, which, by the way, made her an outcast because of this flow of blood. She wasn't allowed to have contact with other people, so this was tremendous suffering. We don't know at what point in time she came to believe that Jesus could help her. It could have been the day before this incident. So we don't know if it's for 12 years she was seeking out Jesus. Maybe not. Maybe like some people like me, she tried everything the world had to offer first, and when none of that was working, she said, ah, maybe it's time to take this this Jesus of Nazareth seriously. Maybe it's time for the Lord. So we don't know at what time, at what point in, in her illness she came to believe that the Lord could help her. But we do know that she did, and, you know, Matt, I like to look at this story and, and consider the fact that over the period of 12 years, if at any point in time she gave up and said, that's it, I mean, maybe she was praying for 12 years, but if at any point in time she gave up and said, this is hopeless, I'm not even going to try anymore, I just give up, I'll just give up, who knows what would have happened. But the point is she endured, she, she maintained her hope, 
and she kept trying. And boy, there, there was just such a lesson there. Well, the, there are all kinds of ways to understand the mystery of why God would have allowed her to suffer for those many years before healing her. But one of the, I mean, it's not a nice pat answer to that mystery, but one of the things that, you know, the reasons that it could have been is so that those of us reading these things in 2023 can say, you know what? It can work even after 12 years, right? These prayers. <laughs> exactly. If nothing else, exactly. maybe she was allowed to, to, to go through these things so that we could be shown that you you should not give up. Yeah, and you know, you know, man, that's a great point, and I think about that a lot with some of these biblical figures that, not just that I talk about in this book, but throughout the entire Bible. And, and you know, I, I fully believe that, and you know, maybe maybe somebody could reach out to us, that somebody listen and let us know, but I believe that somebody's going to listen to this story today, and their hope's going to be renewed, and they're going to hear us speaking about this, and they'll say, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to hang in there for one more day, because I believe that if Jesus did it for this woman, he can do it for me. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a medical issue. It can be any number of problems. But I have a feeling we're going to touch somebody by sharing this story today. Well, I hope so. And uh, this woman who has no name in the Gospels ends up being one of the most famous people in uh, Church history as a result. You know, Jesus healed just an insane amount of people when he was here and we only get accounts of a handful of them and this is one of the accounts that we get this story of of the woman with the hemorrhage and she's covered in your book gary it's called when your days are dark god is still good biblical advice to help you trust in difficult times if our listeners want to get a copy and join the conversation how do they do so matt the easiest place is to go to my website following the truth.com Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you as always, Gary. Have a wonderful day. All right, my friend. God bless you. All right. We are back right after this with Headlines and Anna Mitchell. It's a quarter till. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. 
EWTN, communicating the faith. I had to go through fear and thank God that I overcame the fear and I just left it up to God. And now there's no more fear. There's just acceptance. And I'm just learning to listen. If you want to be closer to God, you just need to keep following his rules. And your application, your radio station has helped me to always be positive and continue to listen to the rules and obey. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal for his World Youth Day pilgrimage. World Youth Day itself officially got underway last night with tens of thousands of young pilgrims joining the Patriarch of Lisbon for the opening mass. And smoke from California's largest wildfire of the year is now impacting neighboring states. Next newscast coming up in about 15 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We are awaiting Liz Lev getting on the line here, Matt. Um, You know, that's a question for her, by the way. What? That question... uh, you know, I accidentally said that the woman with the issue of blood was named Veronica because uh, if you've seen The Chosen. Oh, well, well you realize that Chosen. this is I was just looking this up when you mentioned that um, it's actually an Orthodox tradition that her name is Veronica. I think it might also be in some like medieval Catholic traditions. Uh, because some of these things kind of like spring up devotionally, mm-hmm. even though they don't have necessarily like a historical record. It's a way of people kind of trying to reflect deeply on what it must have been like to be in these places and live in these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I was wondering. Interestingly, not to be confused with the Veronica that we associate with wiping the face of Christ. At least not Did in the Orthodox know? tradition. Okay, so... Veronica, so it like means true, true image. image. Actually, Bernice is a variation on that name. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, this Very is a Liz, this is a Liz Lev question. She well, might not know. I have other either. things to talk. You got to her other about. stuff to talk to Liz Lev about. I'll you know I'll ask her over email. Sounds good. Okay. Liz Lev joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show, art historian, guide to Italy and Rome. You can find her online at elizabeth-lev.com as well as mastersgalleryrome.com. Hello, Liz. Welcome back. Hello. How are you? Hope you're having a great summer. Hey, I am having a great summer, and I hope you are too. Uh, but one of the events, I guess you could say, on the church calendar every summer on August 1st and 2nd is what's known as the Pardon of Assisi, or the Portuncula Indulgence. What is the Portuncula? Am I pronouncing it right? Portuncula. Portuncula means Portuncula. It's a, it's a sort of a almost um, a diminutive uh, dialectical form of saying little part or little portion. And it refers to a little piece of land, maybe a mile outside the town of Assisi, which you know is perched up on top of a hill. And there was a little piece of land kind of in the sort of flatter area, more in the valley, which was a little parcel. 
and the little parcel belonged to the Order of St. Benedict. The story is that Benedict himself may have founded a shrine there back in the 6th century, but at any rate, it was a piece of land that belonged to the Benedictines. And when St. Francis first began his 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 mission, his his activity, uh, as we all know, the famous story where he's thrown out of the house by his father in the great battle in the square of Assisi, one of the very first places that Francis managed to land and be able to live and be able to really form his congregation was in this little parcel of land, which was ultimately given to him, I think it was about 1212, 1211, 1212, by uh, the Benedictines, by the, by the abbot of the um, Abbey of Subiaco, Subiaco. And so Francis um, was able to form his Franciscan, that was their kind of HQ in home base. Mm-hmm. So it's where the Franciscans began. It's where St. Clair ran away to in order to follow Francis, and it's the site where St. Francis died. So even though it doesn't always make everybody's top 10 list in Assisi, unlike the Upper Basilica of Assisi, it is actually a profoundly important site. Oh my gosh, I think that it's my favorite site in uh, in when when making a pilgrimage to Assisi there at, at the foot of the hill. It is almost an afterthought for most pilgrims, um, even though it's the first thing that you would pass going up that hill. So how did this pardon of Assisi come about? Well, the story of the pardon of Assisi is really a story regards an indulgence that was eventually um, promulgated by Pope Sixtus IV, but that Francis, in in Francis's tremendous holiness and sort of interceding for the people of Assisi, he he uh, asked for the pardon of Assisi, an indulgence, uh, a forgiveness of the town of Assisi, and so this this feast, this memory of Francis's uh, 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 intercession um, to 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 be able to forgive or to 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 uh, ask God for the indulgence for the people of Assisi, that continued um, and grew actually stronger and stronger from the Renaissance into the Middle Ages. And his prayer for the pardon of Assisi, that's actually depicted in that little church, right? Well, inside the, I mean, the church, the church itself is, yes, but the church itself is big, but inside the church, and one of the things that makes that spot so um beautiful, is you walk inside this big 18th century white church thinking, oh my goodness, what could possibly be in there? But then when you walk in, you see these two little buildings, these two little ancient buildings, stone buildings, standing on either side. And those are the buildings that are part of that 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 home of uh, St. Francis during his um, during his time on earth. So when you walk into the Basilica of St. Mary of the Angels, Liz, if you're leading a pilgrimage, tell us all about what you're pointing out to the pilgrims. Well, I mean, what, when you come into a, to a church that really, it's a very, it's a church that's built in the 18th century. It's all big and white on the outside. So I think part of the, with a nice big piazza in the exterior, it's kind of fun to watch people sort of looking and wondering, what is it that we've come to see here? Isn't this supposed to be a medieval place, a medieval town, a medieval story? And then you walk in, and inside the church, it's still a very vast church. It's, I think one of the things that's so nice about it, it's so peaceful. You never see it overrun. You come into this big, open 
airy, luminous space. And you see a lot of very lovely 19th century, 18th century paintings along the walls, but nothing that's all that gripping. And then you make your way to the heart of the basilica. And there in that space where usually you would be sort of captured by the altar and the apse, instead there's a tiny little stone building. And the little stone building is that original chapel, that little place where the Franciscans were first formed. And inside there you have a series of paintings. Um, they're paintings from like the 14th century by a priest, I think his name is something like um, Ilario. And he paints these stories of the Virgin of St. Francis, each one of them involving angels. So we draw together this idea of the um, idea of the Portiuncula, the little place, and Our Lady of the Angels. And it's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, like, I don't know about you, Liz, but when I walked in and saw that Portuncula church, like, it really caught my breath knowing that that was where St. Francis began it all. It is, it is, and it's so small, and it's so humble and it's so simple and i think what's really what's really lovely is you have that little simple humble building where it began and then next to it that little simple humble building where he died so just this this these tiny stones throw from each other not even a stone throw this beginning and ending that seems so simple so humble so so easily passed over and yet look how it changed the world amen We've been talking to Liz Lev, and you can find elizabeth-lev.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Liz, always love talking to you. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you very much. All right, we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Since we ended last hour talking about Franciscan stuff, let's pray the prayer of St. Francis before the crucifix together to begin this hour. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Most high glorious God, enlighten the darkness of my heart, and give me right faith, certain hope, and perfect charity, wisdom and understanding, Lord, that I may carry out your holy and true command. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Wednesday, the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, Father Philip Michael Tangora, a uh, youthful man himself, will tell us a little bit about uh, the fruits of World Youth Day and why it's important to uh, encourage people 
to, you know, have good models of what it means to use that youthful energy in the right direction. I uh, will also talk to Carla Broussard going through his book on progressive ideologies that he's done for Catholic Answers. And then Deacon Stephen Gray Donis will be along with a couple of different thoughts among them. Uh, the, uh, the idea of a lot of exorcist movies coming out uh, over the past year. And uh, what do they portray accurately? What do they portray inaccurately? What's sensationalized? And uh, what does the church actually teach about spiritual warfare? Uh, we'll get into at least part of those questions. So stay with us if you can. Right now it's two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal today for his pilgrimage for World Youth Day in Lisbon. In video remarks ahead of World Youth Day, the Holy Father said, quote, In Lisbon, I would like to see a seed for the world's future. He also said the church could not be what he called just a club for the elderly because if it becomes something for old people, it will die. The Holy Father is expected to attract about a million people over this five-day tour, which is his 42nd overseas trip and fourth World Youth Day of his pontificate. World Youth Day itself officially got underway last night with the opening mass. World Youth Day is the subject of the Pope's prayer intention for this month of August, and pilgrims to St. Peter's Basilica have been encouraged to accompany World Youth Day pilgrims with their prayers. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. The initiative, in collaboration with the Dicastery for Laity, Family and Life, invites St. Peter's visitors to attend the Masses celebrated in the Basilica and daily Eucharistic adoration in the Chapel of the Blessed Sacrament. At the entrance of the chapel, a graphic notice will remind of these special events, with directions to access the World Youth Day page of St. Peter's Basilica website and download the official prayer text in several languages. In his message for World Youth Day, dated August 15, Pope Francis reflected on the event's theme, which recalls a passage from Luke's Gospel, Mary arose and went with haste. In these troubling times, the Pope wrote, when our family, already tested by the trauma of the pandemic, is racked by the tragedy of war, Mary shows to all of us, and especially to you, young people like herself, the path of proximity and encounter. What kind of haste do you have, dear young people? Pope Francis asked, highlighting our healthy haste drives us always upwards and toward others. Yet, there is also an unhealthy haste, which can drive us to live superficially and to take everything lightly. The Pope concluded his message by blessing young people's dreams and every step of their journey. I am Edoardo Giribaldi. Former President Trump has been hit with another indictment, this time for alleged election interference that culminated with the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. Speaking yesterday, Special Counsel Jack Smith claimed that attack was fueled by lies told by Trump, calling it a, quote, unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. The former president has been charged with conspiring to defraud the U.S., disenfranchise voters, and attempting to obstruct certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. He's expected to be arraigned in the case tomorrow. An Obama-appointed judge has been assigned to the case. Trump himself has responded, saying politics is behind this latest indictment. Summer continues with millions of Americans under heat alerts all across the South, where the heat index is hitting the triple digits. 
In New Orleans, the heat index reached 109 degrees yesterday, while in Corpus Christi, Texas, that number reached 112. Over in Phoenix, where it's been the hottest stretch of days on record, temperatures are expected to be up above 110 again by the end of this week. Fitch is downgrading its U.S. debt rating from the highest AAA rating to AA+. Mark Mayfield reports. Several factors were cited, including a steady deterioration in standards of governance over the last two decades. Fitch said the U.S. suffers from an erosion of governance. While the rating dropped, the new one is among the highest possible. Fitch is one of three major credit rating agencies that evaluate ability for companies and countries to repay debts. I'm Mark Mayfield. And Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy, are spiking in central Florida. FIU infectious diseases expert Dr. Eileen Marty says while the disease is spread by armadillos, this outbreak appears to be spreading through human contact, possibly from travelers. While most people are immune to leprosy these days, 10% of the population will get the skin disease if they are exposed. Fortunately, in our day and age, this disease is treatable. I actually knew that. That it's um, treatable? No, that it's transmitted like it's between the toes of armadillos. Oh. Yeah. You know, you know how I know that? You know who told me that? Who told you? You're going you're gonna to freak out. Uh, Father Mitch Paqua told me that. Really? Yeah, I was in some phone conversation with him years ago, and I can't remember he what- He started even... talking about armadillos? I, well, I was in- Maybe you don't know what it's like to have a private <laughs> phone conversation with Father I've, Mitch. I, I have, called him about something. I don't even remember what it was. I've never had a private conversation with but Father He started Mitch. talking about like some of his hunting trips and how he likes everything about Texas but the armadillos and how they got Hanson's disease between their toes. And, <laughs> and I think he called them armored possums. That's amazing. So anyway, that's how, that's why I know that armadillos have that. You get salmonella from a turtle. You get hello, Matt. Leprosy from possums. Hello, Anna. You know what I mean? Jelly bean. I love Father That's the Mitch only, Pacwa. I, my, my my impression of Father Mitch is two words long. Hello, Matt. <laughs> that's, I love that's, Father that's, Mitch. It's two words long. I don't have. I love I listening to you do Father Mitch and Father Benedict Rochelle impersonations. Is he Wednesdays on Open Line? Is that right? I think he's on. No, I think it's Father Wade. Is no, it's Father Wade's on Tuesdays. You're right. I think Open Father Mitch is line Wednesday. Wednesdays. EWTN. And that'd be boom. Father Mitch. Father Mitch. Nice. Hello. So he's Matt. got a chance at a rebuttal. Oh boy, he's going to do an impression of me. That's terrifying. <laughs> the Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Philip Michael Tangora, pastor, canon lawyer from the Diocese of Patterson, New Jersey. Father, good morning. Good morning. So we got World Youth Day in the news, and there's going to be a whole lot of people descending on this place uh, from all over the world. Have you ever had a chance to go to a World Youth Day? I've had a couple of opportunities, but never actually went because of issues that uh, arose. Yeah, I've never gotten to go either, and now I've aged out of it. But (laughs) I imagine that, you know— when you look around at some of your brother priests, you've probably met more than a couple who've uh, really found their vocation or solidified a vocation at these events. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I, I, although, you know, at my parish, we have an outdoor mass. And so I told everybody this past Sunday that I just saved them $4,000. <laughs> so they don't have to go to an outdoor mass at World Youth <laughs> yeah. Day. Exactly. Um, you know, and uh, you, you hear all these fascinating stories and you see the, I mean, I'm just thinking of the, the scene in Rio. I, um, yeah. you know, the, the, where the entire beach is crowded and there's just drumbotrons and you, you know, it the beautiful. idea of doing mass <clears throat> for that many people, um, you know, what's interesting to me about world youth day, and I'm interested in your reflections on this as well, mm-hmm. is that we already know, uh, you know, kind of intellectually because of the way that the mass tells us that whenever we see communion, there's people going to daily mass right now. There's going to be six people in the congregation. But we are in harmony with all the other people receiving the Eucharist that day around the world. We just don't see That's them. Right. We're in different geographical places. How does an event like this really reinforce the reality of what's happening with the Universal Church every time we celebrate Mass? Well, the the thing about like a World Youth Day or any of these kinds of special uh, Masses, uh, everyone that's there wants to be there. And that makes a big difference. Because uh, the prayer and the attitude and the disposition of people at an event like a World Youth Day in and of itself is such an inspiring uh, experience that you just you can't help but be taken by that enthusiasm, which literally means to enter into God. And just experience that transformative power, that that beauty, that truth, the grace, all those kinds of things. And and that's why it's so very important uh, for our youth to have these kinds of positive, uh, overwhelming, uh, love enveloping experiences of God and let that mark be made upon their soul in their life that they can then always carry it with them. And I know that that was the original reason for John Paul II having created World Youth Day was so that uh, the youth would have an opportunity to really experience Jesus Christ, to encounter him, to be overwhelmed by his presence in their life, and then go forth marked with the power of Christ, that transformative power in their life, and then uh, be able to move forward, and instead of being taken by the ways of the world, being taken by the ways of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's a a powerful image, and, you know, there are some people who, you know, perhaps are cynical, or uh, they have a lot of pessimism surrounding what they call the young people. By the way, you know how to know if somebody's, uh, if somebody my age is getting getting old, um, is if they start (laughs) referring to people uh, other people as the young people, right? When when you say the yes, this young is true. People, you know, you know, you know, you've you've crossed over into a different uh, age bracket. It's uh, true. When you use the definitive article, it's always it's, true. It's very it's very much a dead <laughs> giveaway. <laughs> but you know, this is not. I mean, when you see these things and you see the flags fly, and you you can't see into the soul of every person who's who's part of this. Uh, but you know, it, it can also be a, a reflection for us. Like, where is I may not have that energy, I may not have that that excitement in my life, but you know, I at least have this visual 
that there are people in the church who are excited. And in some ways, you know, Pope Francis has done a, a really incredible job of trying to sure. show us that the faith is not for just the young people. It's not just for the old people. The faith is for everybody. And wherever you are along that age continuum, there's a spot mm-hmm. for you in the church, and we ought to be paying attention to what you're bringing to the church. Absolutely. I mean, uh, granted, they're, they're, you know, just like for every different um, age demographic in the church does need to have those opportunities for the pastoral outreach and whatnot. Obviously, World Youth Day is targeting those who are in their preteen and teenage years, young adults, that kind of thing. Uh, but obviously, the church, the faith in the church is for everybody. It's for everybody. Um, you know, and uh, Nat King Cole said that you're a kid from one to 92 in the Christmas song, right? That's true. So, he did. I mean, in, in a certain sense, we should all have uh, a youthful uh, approach. I mean, even in the in the traditional liturgy at the prayers of the foot of the altar, you offer your youth, you know, um, and that's part of the psalm that's being prayed, you know, as we begin the mass. So, I mean, there's always this sense of that offering of one's youth, offering of one's energy. I remember the vice rector in the college seminary that I was at at St. Andrews at Seton Hall University, um, Father James Sparrow told me that the greatest gift you can offer the church is your youthful energy. So if we all offer that energy, that youthfulness to the church, we keep the church young, we keep it moving forward, we keep it um, engaged and not static because the church is a dynamic reality, because God is a dynamic reality, and the church is, after all, the icon of the Trinity. So uh, in this way, we can go forward uh, filled with that energy, filled with that inspiration, filled with that um, uh, pastoral zeal to bring other people uh, to Jesus. And I just, that's where I want to share one quote from John Paul real quick. Young people of World Youth Day, the church asks you to go in the power of the Holy Spirit to those who are near and those who are far away. Share with them the freedom you have found in Christ. People thirst for genuine inner freedom. They yearn for the life which Christ came to give in abundance. And I just think that's awesome. Yeah, I got a quote from Pope Benedict XVI in one of his World Youth Day talks, hanging on my wall right here in the room with me right now, that the world offers you comfort, but you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness. Good stuff. That's right. Well, let's pray for all those All right, God bless everybody. Father Phil Michael Tangora, always appreciate you. Have a great day. Amen. All right, 16 past. We got headlines coming up next. Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. 
Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. I used to wonder if God really cared, why it mattered what church I went to, or why I even bothered with faith at all. Then I started praying more often and going to church. What happened? My relationships got stronger, and I felt a peace that I never had before. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out catholicscomehome.com. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal today. It begins his nearly week-long visit to Portugal for World Youth Day. The opening mass for World Youth Day was attended by hundreds of thousands of young pilgrims celebrated by the Patriarch of Lisbon. And former President Trump has been hit with another indictment yesterday. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's so funny when you, you hear... Uh, you hear hundreds of thousands gather. I'm like, ah, that doesn't sound like that many, you know, because all I could think of is five million people gathering in the Philippines. Oh, I know, right? Uh, well, did you see? I um, which broke it. I think it made it into the Guinness Book of World Records that year. No doubt. Um, I uh, pulled up Twitter this morning. Yes. And one of the first things that came across my feed was sort of this. Um, overhead view of the opening mass for world youth day yeah and it was unreal the just the size of this crowd that was assembling for this mass yeah, so Rio, there are I think a lot of people 3.7 million i think poland had three and a half million yeah i, I mean it's... i say hundreds of thousands because you know I haven't seen any kind of official crowd count yet, but I mean, who, who oh wants to be the person to count that? Go go check out like um, those ushers at the back of mass with those little clicker thingies. Mm-hmm. Like, who wants to be the clicker man <laughs> or the clicker lady at a World Youth Day? That's a you have to take your thumb to rehab after that. Mm-hmm. Lots of clicks. Mm-hmm. Just there's some ushers right now who are like, you know. On the, on the disabled list, 15-day DL with a thumb injury, clicker-related. Heal fast, guys. Want to see you back out on the field soon. Oh, my gosh. 21 past. Season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Sacred Heartbeat. One of the titles given to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is Burning Furnace of Charity. Who can purify the human heart? Who can change our selfish love into a selfless love? The answer to both these questions is Jesus Christ. Christ's love for all people is intense and passionate. He desires to purify our hearts of all those things that prevent us from truly receiving God's grace. The mystics have described the heart of Jesus as a burning furnace which destroys sin. God puts nothing in the path of his love for us, but we put many things in the way of our love for God. By giving our hearts and souls and minds and bodies over to the Lord, we're asking him to remake us over into his image, not ours. Let us not be afraid to enter into the furnace of God's love. It's the only way that we will ever know Christ better. Heart of Jesus, burning furnace of charity, pray for us. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us. Carlo Broussard back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers. Invite him to speak at your parish or First Communion group through CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com. We've been going through his book, the new relativism, and also want to point out he's got a podcast called Sunday Catholic Word, which uh, points like looks at points of apologetics based on the Sunday Mass readings. You can find that at Mister Sunday Podcast dot com. So, good morning, Mister Sunday. <laughs> good morning, Anna. It's good to have you back, Carlos. So we are going to be talking about a rather sticky and complicated issue today. We we talked last time about the total relativism that can be found in critical race theory. And this time we're going to be talking about practical relativism. So what is the yeah. difference between total and practical relativism? Yeah, well, as we said before, total relativism says there is no absolute truth whatsoever regardless of what area we're talking about, religion, morality, math, science, etc. Practical relativism is a form of relativism, sort of a daughter of relativism, that doesn't outright state there is no absolute truth, but the behavior, the action, the way of thinking is leads to living as if there's no truth, even though you might not say it, right? So it's a practical relativism doing things as if there is no truth. So the example of practical relativism within critical race theory that I point out in my book is the idea of racial equity, where you have institutions uh, working toward rep uh, having an equal representation of races, regardless of one's um, skill and skill set and and level of skill that's relevant to whatever good is being distributed, right? Yeah. So the classic case is our president, Joe Biden, stating that he would put replace uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer with a 
black woman. Mm -hmm. So notice the truth of the value of the seat on the Supreme Court and the truth of the proportion, the due proportion between that good and a cause of that good, namely legal scholarship, was irrelevant. Mm -hmm. The truth of the proportion and the truth of the value of the good was ignored and not considered relevant to his decision-making process. What was in the driver's seat was race and sex, something that was entirely irrelevant and not proportionate to the good of a seat on the Supreme Court. Yeah, okay, let me stop you there because I wanna make sure that we um, clarify what you are not saying about this because this can get, like I said, it's a sticky issue and emotions can get involved very quickly and very easily and we're not interested in getting emotional here. so can you can you talk about what you are not saying about this? Because the fact that she's a black woman is great that she's on the Supreme Absolutely. Court. Yes. And and we are not saying that it should be a white person. We're not saying it should be a man. We are not saying that what we and, and that it is a black woman, like you said, is a good thing. What we are critiquing is putting race and sex in the driver's seat for achieving the goal of the good of a seat on the Supreme Court. It would be akin to this, Anna, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, if I were to give a professorship at a university to someone simply because their name was Peter or simply because their name was Betty Sue, that would be an injustice because there is a disproportion between the good being given or distributed, namely the professorship, and the cause of that good, namely professoring, scholarship, right? (laughs) Or, for example, to to give the good of being cited in an academic journal. Mm -hmm. Simply because one is non-white, that's a disproportion. Race has no connection whatsoever to being cited in an academic journal, to having a seat on the Supreme Court, or having a professorship. What is relevant is the legal scholarship for the Supreme Court seat. The scholarship in whatever discipline, academic discipline we're talking about. Or the, um, the other example and the relevant skills that are involved there. So that's what we're after. So if we're going to ignore the truth of the value of the good being sought, and the truth of the proportion between that good and the cause of that good, well, then we're just, it's a form of practical relativism because mm-hmm. we're living as if the truth of these things do not exist and are irrelevant. And so even though they're not outright saying there is no truth, like in the other examples that we looked at last time in total relativism within critical race theory, this is a practical form of relativism. So with just about 30 seconds left, Carlo, how would you um, how would you answer this or, or provide an alternate kind of solution, I guess? Yeah, well, I, the, the, al- the alternative absolute that I give in the book is a form of racial equity in the sense of everyone having the equal opportunity to pursue these goods 
regardless of race. And that's something we can get on board with. Yeah, absolutely. You can read more about it in his book, The New Relativism, which you can find through Catholic Answers Press. And again, invite Carlo to speak on these matters through CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com. Go check out his podcast, MrSundayPodcast.com. Carlo, it was good to, good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Anna, thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. All right. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal for World Youth Day. The Holy Father landed in Lisbon earlier this morning. On the schedule today is a welcome ceremony and a meeting with civil authorities and diplomats. He'll have a separate meeting this evening with the Portuguese prime minister, and then we'll celebrate vespers with bishops, priests, deacons, consecrated seminarians, and pastoral workers. That taking place at a monastery in Lisbon. World Youth Day itself officially got underway last night with hundreds of thousands of young pilgrims joining the Patriarch of Lisbon for the opening mass. Tomorrow, Pope Francis is set to paint a final brush stroke in a large community mural. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones has more. Pope Francis will visit the Scolas Ocurrentes community of young people in Cascai, a coastal town situated west of Lisbon. Scolas Ocurrentes is an international educational movement of pontifical right created by a decree by Pope Francis himself. The organization is present in all continents, comprehending over half a million schools and educational networks, responding to the call to create the culture of encounter, bringing young people together in an education that generates meaning. In a press release, the organization explained how the meeting will represent the closing of the Life Between Worlds project, consisting of the realization of a mural. Old people and young people, rich and poor, children of different religions and non-believers, and young people of different nationalities participated in this work of art, the statement reads, underlining how the final touch will be given by Pope Francis himself. Jose Maria del Corral, Scolas Ocurrentes World President, expressed his gratitude to the Pope and World Youth Day's organizers for the effort to come to visit us in Cascai and share this educational experience that's changing lives, giving a sense to stand up and keep fighting. The project embodies the Pope's pedagogical vision underlining the importance of the between, where the encounter between people, between people and the world, between the world and life takes place where life regains its meaning. In fact, the three-kilometer mural was born from the encounter of young people from different parts of the world who shared their pains and dreams and created an immersive work of art making the classroom without walls real. The press release concluded by providing the numbers of the project, which saw the participation of 100 organizations from the Kashkai community, bringing together more than 2,000 people working in groups of 5 to 10 and creating 300 murals that were joined in a single work. I'm Thaddeus Jones. Former President Trump has been hit with another indictment, this time for alleged election interference culminating with the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. Speaking yesterday, the special counsel, Jack Smith, claimed that attack was fueled by lies told by Trump. The former president has been charged with conspiring to defraud the U.S., disenfranchise voters, and attempting to obstruct the certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. He's expected to be arraigned in the case tomorrow, and an Obama-appointed judge has been assigned to the case Trump has said politics is behind this latest indictment. 
Smoke from California's largest wildfire of the year is now impacting neighboring states. The York Fire has scorched more than 80,000 acres of land in the Mojave Desert. Fire crews have been working in extreme heat conditions with temperatures surpassing 100 degrees. Smoke from the fire is reaching into Nevada and southern Utah, and while no homes or other structures are currently at risk, there are concerns about the long-term impact on the ecosystem. The fire has already burned some of the Joshua Tree Forest in California's Mojave National Preserve. Poland is sending troops to its eastern border with Belarus, accusing its neighbor of violating its airspace with military helicopters. Mark Mayfield reports. Tensions are high between Poland, a NATO member and a supporter of Ukraine, and Belarus, a Russian ally currently home to Russian mercenaries. Belarus has denied sending any helicopters across the border. Russia used Belarus as a launch pad for its invasion of Ukraine, and President Vladimir Putin has made clear that he would consider any attack on Belarus as an attack on Russia. I'm Mark Mayfield. Striking writers and Hollywood studios will start talking again this week. The Writers Union, the Writers Guild of America, confirmed last night that it will be resuming talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers about negotiations on Friday. It's 35. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What sort of sorrow should we have for our sins? The sorrow we should have for our sins should be interior, supernatural, universal, and sovereign. By interior, what we mean is that it comes from the heart, from the place where we love God and where we want to serve Him. By saying that sorrow is supernatural, it means that it's prompted by the grace of God, it's excited by moments of faith within us. Even if nothing bad happened to me because of this sin, I'm still sorry for it. Also, our sin should be universal. By universal, we mean that we should be sorry for all of our sins without exception. Finally, our sorrows should be sovereign, meaning that we should be more sorry for having offended God than sorry that we're in trouble. When our sorrow is truly interior, supernatural, universal, and sovereign, then that helps us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Deacon Stephen Gray Donis from DecentFilms.com. Good morning, Deacon Stephen. Good morning, Annie. So we are talking Barbenheimer, and I am pumped about this. Uh, we will separate them at some point, but before we do, what do you make of the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon? 
I mean, this is this is just incredible. In 2023, to see two non-franchise films like these blow up the box office. Barbie had the biggest opening of the year. Um, it isn't yet even in its second weekend. And days ago, it blew past $200 million. Wow. But just as impressive is Oppenheimer, a three-hour R-rated historical drama, making over $100 million, far outdoing expensive duds like uh, The Flash or Shazam 2, Pixar's Elemental. And whether you love or hate either or both of these particular movies, if you care about movies generally like I do, I think that a phenomenon like this is really very hopeful for a number of reasons. Yeah, and uh, well, why don't you just talk about that now so that we um, so that we can start off on a positive note before we get to some of the controversy. Right, and and so, but let's let's just acknowledge, just to to get this out of the way, or at least to to, to frame it in this context, that that there is controversy over both of these films in some Catholic circles, which we'll try to unpack um, in the minutes ahead. But just to summarize, um, um, Oppenheimer is controversial for a couple of sex scenes with some nudity. Barbie has been criticized for what critics call its wokeness. Um, but mm. but what's encouraging to me is that it. In this, in the very studio-driven movie landscape that we have inhabited for such a long time now, uh, where filmmakers are really interchangeable and and it's really studio suits calling the shots, that we're seeing such huge box office success for two very ambitious and auteur-driven films. That is, films that are not just made by some hired gun working for a paycheck but by artists whose work reflects a strongly personal creative vision. Barbie was co-written and directed by Greta Gerwig, the director of Lady Bird and Little Women, and you can really see her specific fingerprints all over this film. Obviously, Barbie is a huge brand name, but hey, so he's Dungeons and & Dragons and that flop. So mm-hmm. it's, maybe we want to take a look at what Greta Gerwig did that connected with audiences in such a powerful way. And then Oppenheimer written and directed by Christopher Nolan, the Dark Knight trilogy, Interstellar, Dunkirk. Nolan is his, he's his own brand. He's, he's the only non-horror director today, with a possible exception of James Cameron, possible, whose films people will go to see because he made them. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about the fact that Hollywood creatives are on strike right now, for a number of reasons, but significantly among them, there's this concern about artificial intelligence replacing human creative work, chatbots drafting script treatments. The success of these movies, to me, says that human creatives matter, and that's what I'm excited about. And that is definitely something to celebrate. But why don't you unpack a little bit about the, the controversy in, in Catholic circles? So... Um, uh, Barbie is, is a movie that really explores the legacy of, of the Barbie doll in the context of, of American culture. It opens with a very kind of celebratory um, uh, reveal of Barbie as an icon of adult femininity, the time when most dolls were baby dolls. And so cast little girls playing with them in the role of the mother, and now they get to imagine themselves as adult women in other contexts. Hmm. Um, it's so it's it's a film that embraces feminism and offers a critique of sexism and what the movie explicitly calls patriarchy and so 
Um, in Catholic circles, there is significant suspicion around feminism, and many forms of feminism are contrary to Catholic faith. So that's, it's not surprising that there's that controversy. For Oppenheimer, I mean, the film is controversial for a lot of reasons with a lot of different groups. One of the sex scenes that I mentioned has been attacked by Hindus because it involves um, the woman that Oppenheimer is having sex with, who's played by Flora P- um, um, uh, Florence Pugh, um, holding up a copy of a, a Hindu sacred text from which Oppenheimer reads the famous words, I am become uh, death the destroyer of worlds. Um, but Catholics are concerned, or it, some Catholics are concerned about uh, the, the sex scenes because, of course, um, uh, there's, there's the question of, you know, is this pornography and, and is, it, um, is, it, is, it, is it even okay morally to watch a scene like that? Where do you fall on all of this? Do you have thoughts yet? <laughs> yeah, so let me just say, I have seen both films this week. I was not able to do the screenings last week because I was doing a Theology on Tap talk, which we talked about in, in, our, yeah. in our last show. So, but I haven't written about them yet. And until I write about a movie, I, I don't, I, I kind of, <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like um, Flannery O'Connor when she said, I write because I don't know what I think until I read what I say. Wow. And so, but, but I can I say this that. much. I, I, I can briefly say this much. Um, the sex scenes in Oppenheimer are not pornography. Um, not everybody's going to want to watch them. This is definitely a film for adult viewing. Um, there is um, um, some nudity in, in both films, in, bo- in both scenes. But the scenes are, are not there to titillate the viewer. They're there to uh, reveal something about the characters and the themes of the movie. Uh, one of them is, is done in a very surreal way that's meant to be extremely uncomfortable and, and not sexy at all. Um, uh, so regarding, regarding Barbie, um, I, I have mixed feelings, which I think we can maybe spend some more time on the other side of the break talking about. Well, that sounds fabulous. And uh, so we'll look forward to that. Matt, do you have any thoughts yet that you want to contribute uh, before? Just that we've barely even touched the moral content of the film's premises themselves. <laughs> There's a lot to a lot to get yes. into. Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, Deacon Stephen Gradonis will join us again coming up after the break. It's 17 till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. 
Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN podcasts are the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. Your favorite EWTN programs are waiting for you to listen to on your time. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off, anytime, anywhere. Just subscribe by using your mobile device's free podcast app. Find old favorites or discover something new. EWTN Podcasts, they're waiting for you. What's on your calendar that you can't wait for? What excites you about what's coming? Share your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has arrived in Portugal. He'll be there through Sunday to celebrate World Youth Day. The event itself, World Youth Day, got underway officially last night with hundreds of thousands of young pilgrims joining the Patriarch of Lisbon for the opening mass. And former President Trump has been hit with another indictment, this time for alleged election interference in the January 6th Capitol riot. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's the Sunrise Morning Show continues with Deacon Stephen Gray Donis from DecentFilms.com. We've been talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer and the Barbenheimer phenomenon. Deacon Stephen, I want to go back to uh, what we were discussing with Oppenheimer, and you were you were talking about the sex scenes being really uncomfortable. My one question about Oppenheimer and all that I've heard about it is. Would uh, particularly in in thinking about the atomic bomb and and developing this kind of of science, um, would a non-Catholic leave this film thinking about morality? That's a really good question, and and it, it highlights something. Part of the dilemma of the film is that Christopher Nolan is is making a movie about. Uh, a, a person who's involved in the project to bring the atomic bomb uh, into into reality. It, it, it's based on a 2005 biography called American Prometheus, and the movie invokes the myth of Prometheus, the, the master craftsman, the titan who stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity. So there is this sense of transgression around the movie, and moral questions are raised. Because we see the film... As, as it unfolds toward the Trinity test and toward Hiroshima and Nagasaki from primarily from Oppenheimer's point of view, um, we, we see him, we see the case being made why we need to develop the atomic bomb in order first to beat the Nazis and then to beat the Japanese and save American lives because they're supposedly never going to give up. There are some moral questions raised in the film about this, and, and the movie definitely is concerned about the morality of developing the atomic bomb at all, let alone dropping it on civilian populations. The movie raises these questions, so will people come out thinking about the questions? Yes. Does the movie affirm the Catholic position that it is never morally justifiable to target civilians? 
um, in, in even in even in a just war? No, it doesn't affirm that, but it does raise the question. OK, I'll leave that one there um, because I am really interested in, in seeing this movie. Um, but I'm curious, like, will people be able to follow it? I heard that it's like frenetic paced. Uh, it's how can you have a three-hour uh, biopic that's frenetic, but and, and really a very talky, thinky, intellectual drama. Sure. But the reality is that that it really does move. Um, how engaged you are will depend on your interest in the subject matter. And really, if you know a little bit about Oppenheimer, it's it's worth knowing a little bit. Certainly helps. I should say that this is a movie that is. Um, it's it's as much about um, uh, it, it is about genius and hubris. So it stands in a tradition of movies like Amadeus and The Beautiful Mind, The Theory of Everything. But it's also a movie about power and not just atomic power. It's about social power, mm-hmm. political power, interpersonal power. It's about Oppenheimer's fall from grace after World War II as much as anything else. OK, what am I going to leave Barbie thinking about? <laughs> So, um, Barbie is, as, as, I, as I talked about, it's an exploration of, of the idea of femininity. It, it's also about what the filmmakers call in the movie um, uh, patriarchy. It's, it's, I, I think, for me, the core of the movie is a lament on behalf of American women, whom the movie says are held to impossibly demanding standards. There's, there's a central monologue uh, by a, a character who is um, um, a, a Mattel employee, um, played by America Ferreira, in which she talks about the demands on American women to, to remain forever young, uh, to remain thin, uh, to be uh, empowered and, and to be a girl boss, um, to take charge of their lives, but not to make men feel threatened or marginalized and so forth. And, and, you know, a lot of men watching the movie, I imagine, are going to feel that this movie overlooks uh, or, or um, uh, marginalizes their laments and concerns. And we can certainly say that men also in American society are struggling in a number of ways and for a number of reasons. And this is not a movie about that. I'm, I'm sympathetic to the movie for its complaint, for its diagnosis of the problem. I have to say that that's the sense that the the climax of the movie revolves around the Barbies manipulating the Kens into fighting one another so that they can restore power in in the Barbie verse. Um, is it, I, I that's not my idea of a constructive way of approaching the the concept of the gender wars. Hmm. So you have daughters, right, Deacon Stephen? I, I mean, do. Is this like the kind of movie that? you'd be okay with a daughter watching? I mean, I guess when I hear about a movie like this, my mind automatically goes to my perspective on feminism, that this is more, it sounds to me, and I'm a, a, admittedly a fan of Greta Gerwig, um, and but I don't know her political viewpoints here, um, that this is the re- this is feminism coming to its fruition that yeah you're going to see this sort of war and then looking at like the transgender phenomenon and that we're going right back to believing that women are that stereotype that barbie stereotype that's what people want um i should mention that amy wellborn wrote a really interesting review of this movie for catholic world report in which she talked about uh the movies 
you could you could say the movie's affirmation of the biological aspect of of femininity. Um, I, I don't want to spoil things, huh. uh, but but there's. Uh, there are gynecological concerns in this movie. I want to emphasize neither of these movies, Oppenheimer nor Barbie, are family films. There were little girls at the screening that I went to, and they seemed kind of bored to me. These are movies, I would say, in the case of Barbie, for for teens and up. Um, My 19-year-old saw it, and she enjoyed it visually. She had problems with some of the themes. My 14-year-old daughter is not interested. Wow. Matt, I am... Well, thank you so much, Deacon Stephen Gray Donis. Um, I don't think he has reviews up just yet. Am I right? Let's look. Yeah, but those are the kind of conversations that I wanted to have about these movies. Well, exactly. And I was going to say, I've got to see them. We got to see them, Matt. We've got to figure out how to to find the time to go see these movies. Yeah. You know, and and I, you know, agree with this this concept of like you know you you walk in and think to yourself what is the what kind of moral universe does this movie posit mm-hmm. um you know that's that's kind of what i appreciate about being able to talk about films in this way uh because there are a lot of films that you know kind of people get kind of hyped up about on the internet because they have a scene where a thing happens or they have a an amount of language uh, or they there's a character that says a line that is problematic. But there is uh, but so I'm, much more to a movie. I'm than much more interested one scene in or one line. what moral universe does is posited here. And you know, I I'm really and, glad he brought up Amy Wilborn stuff because Amy Wilborn has been really fascinating on all these questions about yeah. womanhood. And, and I mean, we we yeah. can talk about the morality of the nuclear bomb, but I feel like that's been pretty well covered. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's Joe Heschmeyer did an article about. Um, the morality of of nuclear warfare um, for Catholic Answers pretty recently, but this question of you know what is being what is being said about Barbie like I had never know. thought about the fact Matt Deacon Stephen mentioned this at the beginning of the conversation that the advent of Barbie um, brought about this idea of girls who when playing were not going to be mothers like that this was the first doll that didn't automatically lead a little girl to 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 portray motherhood and that was i mean we could have hours of conversations just about that alone and and this is where amy wellborn gets it because these are it's it's like not anatomically correct either right right because it's a it's an artificial plastic view of womanhood that Mm -hmm. focuses purely on the uh external you know visible beauty features well and isn't it interesting now that the barbie doll people get bitter well no well look at what the barbie doll is doing now they just put out the first barbie doll with down syndrome I mean, I think that Mattel has recognized what kind of cultural significance play has on the psyche of a child and is now seeking to do good with that, at least in some ways. You you hope. But at the same time, you got the other effect, which is when men try to become idealized women and dress up. And they look to be Barbie. They look like Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. So much to talk about there. Not quite like Barbie. But... Right. We'll be back again tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.